It is good to be here. We get to continue this series um, in finding joy. And I think it's easy for us to all relate to the darkness of our world. Um, I think it's easy for us to sometimes long for joy, but I think there's great truth and great hope in the Bible that it promises us that we can have joy, that this life doesn't have to just be a dull, painful 70, 80, 100 years and only to die and someday experience joy, that we get to experience joy now. And so a lot of what we've been talking about on this series is how in our relationship with Christ, in our relationship with God, we can experience joy. And that this church should be a place we can come and experience joy together, right? But I think that a lot of people in our world don't necessarily look to the church as a place to experience joy. Or they don't think of God as a God who necessarily brings joy to our life. In fact, I think sometimes we um, can have this wrong picture of God, right? We, this, what is the light that God brings us in the darkness? And, and so tr- track with me a little bit here. We're going to kind of go on a journey, all right? So I'm going to give you two kind of images. The one I think is, is a little bit of a, a limited view of God or a limited picture. And the second one maybe is a, a more helpful picture for what we're talking about today. So let's go ahead and bring down the lights. Getting theatrical here, kind of, all right? So imagine with me, close your eyes, keep them open, whatever you need to do to feel comfortable. Imagine you're a sailor, right? You're on your ship. It's the middle of the night. It's pitch black. And the the waves of the boat are starting to kind of, or the waves are picking up and your boat's getting thrashed. And you can just barely see in the moonlight the waves enough to keep your boat going straight on into the waves so that you don't capsize or take water over the side. And as you're just straining your eyes, all of a sudden you see a light that looks something like this, right? Ooh, see, theatrical, exciting, huh? Right, a light of a lighthouse. Now, you're a sailor. What is the first words that goes through your mind when you see that light? Oh, no, right, (laughs) or whatever, You fill in the next word, right? Because that light means, uh uh-oh, there is rocks nearby, and you have got to be careful. You are about to go aground. Things are dangerous right now. And so while you might need that lighthouse in your life, it's not an image that brings you a lot of comfort. It's not something that necessarily brings you joy. All it can do is point out the rocks in your life. And sometimes I think we think about God that way that God is just this kind of impersonal entity up there. And we go to church just so that God can point out the rocks in our life and make us feel bad about the things we're doing, right? Now, I think there's a place for that. I think we do come and and God does point out the rocks and the dangers in our life. But I think there maybe is another picture that, that might be more helpful for us this morning. So imagine again, imagine you are a traveler. Maybe you're a traveling camel salesperson, right? And you're out in the middle of the desert, and you're trying to make to Jerusalem by nightfall. And you're, you're traveling along, and the sun begins to set. And as the sun begins to set, you start hearing, like, the coyotes and the wild animals and whatever hyenas, I don't know what live out there, right? You start to hear them. And the snakes start coming out. And, and they're starting to, to go across the path, and you know that your flip-flops are no, you know, protection for you, and it's getting darker and darker, and you're getting more and more nervous that you're not going to make it by nightfall. And pretty soon, you watch that last little sliver of sun set over the horizon. And as you're standing there, kind of scared, you see off on the horizon, you see lights from a city begin to flicker on. 
right? People start firing up their stoves. They start turning their lamps on. And all of a sudden, out on the horizon is this glow of a city. So we can bring the lights back up now. And I, I think that that image is an image maybe that is more helpful for us this morning. That God has given us great hope in the light that we have in the darkness is not this solitary entity that stands by itself, but it is a community. It is coming into relationship with God and with each other. And that in that there is great hope, in that there is great joy because we have options, we have opportunities, right? We have resources, people that can pour into our life and who we can pour into their life. As we've been studying through the book of Philippians, we've been seeing throughout this book, how God has called us to have joy in the middle of our darkness, right? In the middle of our struggles. We've, we've seen how God has given us an identity. He's given us a purpose, right? That we are to be servants and saints in this world. That he's given us a specific job that we get to play in this world. So even in the midst of suffering, we can have joy. And today we're gonna to talk about how we also can have great joy in the fact that we are called into a community with each other. One of the things we've been encouraging everybody to do is if um, you can, to read through the book of Philippians each week while we go through this. It's a great book. And, and what you will probably find is the same thing we've been finding is that these themes just kind of keep coming up throughout the book. And so that's why, in part, this series is not just us taking one passage and just following it all the way through, is we're going through different parts of the book of Philippians and seeing where, where God speaks to these different issues as he's writing through Paul. So I encourage you to jump in that and, and to read along with us. So I want us to read the, this passage. It's found in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And I think this is a great introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. So if you've got a Bible, you want to flip it over. That is Philippians 2, 1 through 4. I'll give you a second to get there. All right, it says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. So Paul starts off by talking about all the things we've been talking about so far. If you have joy in the fact that you are loved by God, if you have joy in the fact that God has put his very Spirit in your life, has given you purpose, any affection, any comfort, right? That's the assumption that he's making here, that these things are true in your life. Now listen to what he says. This is, I think, what's... It's really amazing to me in this passage. So if all those things are true, then complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. I love this about what he's saying here, right? Because it's, it's challenging for me. He says, man, if you are in relationship with God, if God is filling up your life, if you are experiencing that, check this out. Here's the icing on the cake. Here's the completeness of this joy. Sacrifice, hurt, suffer for each other in community. That will complete my joy. So the, the first point here on our notes is, if you want to experience joy, learn to sacrifice in the context of community. And I think actually we could add a, a word here that would make this even a better statement. That is, if you want to experience the fullness of joy or the completeness of joy, right, then learn to sacrifice in community. 
See, this goes so contrary, I think, to the message that we hear all around us, right? This is not necessarily American culture 101. This is not how we were grown up to think. In fact, I think most often the, the message that I've heard, at least, is if you are not happy, if you are not content, if you don't have joy, then do you. Figure it out. Do what you need to do to make yourself happy, right? Pull yourself up, figure it out, and get it done, right? That's kind of, I think, a predominant message we hear. The problem is, is I don't see that message in Scripture. In fact, I see the opposite here. He's saying, make my joy complete by sacrificing for each other. Put each other's needs, each other's wants, each other's joy above your own joy, which is challenging, but it's so beautiful. What would it look like if we quit worrying about just figuring ourselves out, building ourselves up, taking care of ourselves, and we put that effort and that energy into caring for other people? And I think what happens is when we do that, when we focus on being, bringing joy to other people, then all of a sudden that Christian joy, it becomes infectious, and we become a community that experiences joy together. But it requires sacrifice. It requires suffering. It requires all those, those words that we don't like to necessarily do. They're more fun just to talk about, right? Hurting for each other. But those are real relationships. And if you think about it, the most meaningful relationships in all of our lives are the relationships that take effort, that, that hurt a little bit, that we give to, and that, that we receive from those things. It's easy just to have superficial relationships. And those are nice sometimes, Right? Somebody comes in, oh, how was your day? My day was great. Oh, good. We say nice things to each other and we go on our way. And, but I don't know if that brings us true joy. Uh, I was listening to a radio program a couple weeks ago and they were talking about this, like imagine Surrey or Alexa or one of those kind of AI little, you know, pieces of hardware, software thing. There, there's a version of that that offers true companionship right? Everything you could ever want now can be bought for about two grand and comes to you in a little bottle by your nightstand. So I want you guys to experience the joy of what the future might hold. So check out this little commercial and uh, then we'll talk about it.
All right, before you mock it, think about this. Millions of dollars of venture capital have been poured into this company, right? There's a lot of really smart people that go, that's a great idea. And maybe if you work 80, 100 hours a week and you have no time in your life for real relationships, maybe this brings you something. But I think we could all agree that this is not what we want from our relationships, right? Having somebody say the right things to us at the right time doesn't actually fill that need in our life for real, authentic community. Community that hurts, community that sacrifices for each other. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here in the book of Philippians. He says this, he goes on to talk about how the model that we have for this sacrifice is Jesus, right? The one who who gave up heaven, that came down to earth, who suffered and died for us. But then he kind of goes on in verse 19. He comes to this section of the book of Philippians. That sometimes we can kind of read and we're like, okay, what? All of a sudden he just starts describing like friends of his. People we don't know, we don't know anything about. And he's like, oh, by the way, say hi to Timothy. I can't wait for him to come see you. And then there's Epaphrodites. Oh, he was so sick. And we're like, wait, why is this in the Bible? And, and yet I, I believe the Bible is the word of God. And God put that in there to teach us, to guide us, Right. And I think actually there's a lot we can learn from the example that of Timothy and Epaphrodites. So as we read this next section, I want you to ask yourself this question. What can we learn from the model of Timothy and Epaphrodites about experiencing joy in this kind of sacrificial community? All right, so look for those things as we read through this together. So it's found in 2 verse 19, so chapter 2, 19. So he says this, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. So that you too may be cheered by good, oh, I'm sorry, so that I too may be cheered by good news of you. For I have no one like him who has genuine concern for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he has heard, uh, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so here we have these two examples right? Two people that we know some things about, but there's a lot of details left open, right? So first off, let's talk about Timothy for a little bit. Here's, here's a dude that, that Paul deeply cares about. Timothy was um, a mentee of Paul. Paul had led him to Christ, and they'd kind of gone on this journey together, and they'd traveled through hundreds, thousands of miles together. They had pastored churches together. They had lived life together. And Paul is saying, man, I really want to send Timothy to you. Because I want you to, to just have joy in relationship with Timothy. But I need him right here for me now because he's bringing incredible joy and comfort into my life. But soon I'm going to send him to you. And he says this about Timothy, which I think is really amazing. He says, there is nobody who cares for your needs 
like Timothy does. There's other people, but they just care about their own needs, not, not like him. And I thought, what a selfless dude that is. Can you, I mean, Timothy has met hundreds, if not thousands of people in his journeys, right? He's traveled throughout massive areas of Turkey and Greece and, and now Rome. He's helped pastor at least three different churches. And yet Paul is saying, yeah, but he really cares about you guys. He loves you guys, and he, he puts your interests above his own. And, and so I think the, the first point I kind of drew out of this passage is that we need to foster deep concern for other people's welfare, right? We need to foster deep concern for other people's welfare. At some point, this is kind of obvious, but it's really difficult to do, right? Like, I'm just amazed by the fact that, that Timothy after all this time, after all this separation, after all that he had been through, that his focus and his concern is for the needs of this church here. I'm not sure somebody would write and say that about me, right? If somebody was writing an email about Nate, go, oh, let me tell you about Nate. There is nobody who cares for you like Nate does. I mean, maybe if he's writing to my wife, I would hope maybe they would say that, you know, or, or some close family members, or maybe some of you, you know, but... But if you start getting too far outside of my, my sphere of contact, the people I connect with most often, I'm not sure that would hold true for me. And I would doubt that would hold true for a lot of us, right? That's a challenge. And I think the struggle is, is that so often we kind of get out of sight, out of mind, right? Those people that we're in contact with, it's easy to kind of love and care for them. But as soon as they're kind of gone out of the area, it's difficult, um, and yet what struck me about this passage is that is, is not what's going on here. And I was thinking about just some of the relationships I have in my life. I know I, I talk about the kids down in Mexico a lot because they're deeply important to me. There's a group of kids that um, I love down at Cohova, an orphanage down there. And when I'm with those kids, uh, I, I'm sure my wife and I would both agree that we would give anything for those kids right? We would, we would sell our house to give it to those kids if we thought it would be helpful for them. We would help them with college. We'd do all these different things. We gladly would do that. And yet, and we pray for them. We're invested in their interest. But yet when we get home, it is so easy to just go by the day-by-day stuff, right? And even though we can be in contact through Facebook and some other means, it's, it's hard to keep that, that intensity of truly caring about these kids, of truly putting their interest above our own. I think the same thing happens here at church, right? We're here at church and we hear about each other's needs and we pray with each other. And in that moment, I believe we truly care about each other's needs. And we truly do put each other's needs oftentimes in front of our own. But then Monday happens and we go back to work and things get busy. And then Tuesday happens and pretty soon it's Saturday. And we haven't thought about that person one bit since the Sunday before, right? Am I the only horrible person in here? Right? (laughs) I think we're all in that boat. It's challenging. So how do we deeply care for the concerns of others? And here's just some things that I'm going to personally try to do this week, kind of application that I've drawn out for myself. One, I'm going to try to do a better job of making lists of prayers, like being systematic about how I pray for people. It's easy for me just to say, yeah, cool, I'll pray for you. And in that moment, I pray for you. But then it just kind of goes away, right? So I want to just try to be more diligent about praying for people in a systematic type way. The next thing I want to do is I want to get better at just being in touch with people. And that might mean I can't be in touch with quite as many people, right? But actually hearing about people, caring about what's going on, asking those personal questions. Sometimes in our multimedia or our social media world, 
it's hard to like hone down on real information, right? We get bombarded with every fact about everything going on. And I was thinking about it this week. I'm relatively confident. I know more about what's going on in the Trump home than I do about going on in your home, right? Because it's just this overload. And so I want to focus on what matters about people I care about and knowing about them. And then the last thing, which really is going to lead us into our next kind of actual point, is I want to get better at celebrating when I see God working in each other's lives, right? When I see God at work, I want to worship God for that. I want to celebrate that. And that's something I see here in Epaphrodite's life. And so let's just kind of talk a little bit about him, right? Epaphrodite's is a guy we don't know a ton about. It's not like there's no books in the Bible named after him. If you weren't sure how to pronounce his name, don't stress out. Like, that's okay. I probably mispronounced it, you know? Um, He's not like this this key important person in the the biblical narrative, yet he's got this key important role in Paul's life. In fact, Pastor Ron talked about it a little bit last week, that he was willing to be there with, with, not with Ron, he was being there with Paul and just sit with him in prison with him. And, And Paul really loves and cares for this guy. Listen to the description he uses for him. He says, he's my brother. Like, this guy isn't just a friend. This isn't just somebody we hang out together from time to time. This is blood. This is, this is family. He says, he's a fellow worker. In other words, we've got the same mind. We're focused on the same thing. We are focused on, on the good news of the gospel, on what Jesus is doing in our life and doing in this world that we live in, and we are excited about that. Not only that, he says he's a fellow soldier. In other words, this dude is willing to give his life for this cause. He's not just part in. He's not just kind of interested in this thing. He's all in. Could you imagine a soldier that was just kind of interested in going to battle? (laughs) Would you want to fight with that guy? Hey, we got to go take that ridge. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'll give it a shot. Like, it doesn't work, right? A soldier's got to be all in, and that speaks to Epaphrodite. He's on top of that He's a minister, he's a messenger. He's got all these these aspects of him. And Epaphrodites is deeply troubled. And this is amazing to me because he's not troubled for his own needs, but he's troubled that the church in Philippi heard he was sick and was worried about him. Like that's that's pretty cool that, that he just, he knew that they were worried about him. And even though he was just getting over some sort of illness. Like his concern wasn't about him. It wasn't even about Paul. It was about these people that were a ways away and didn't hear what was going on. So much so that he's willing now to make the same journey that probably got him sick in the first place to go back and to tell these people what's going on. And I think what's going on here isn't just that he wants to comfort them. It's he wants to tell the story about what God is doing. And so that really is the point, is how do we learn to celebrate when God is working in each other's lives? So I imagine Epaphrodites, when he finally did get back to Philippi, could you imagine like after the church service gets over, everybody's kind of hanging out, and everybody's like, hey, Epaphrodites, how you been? You look well. Man, I thought you were sick. He goes, yeah, let me tell you about what happened. I was sick, and I was was really sick, and I finally get to Rome, and I'm just laying in bed. I I think I'm going to die. And as I'm laying in bed there, all these guards keep coming into the room and it's crazy. Paul is telling these guys about Jesus. And these guys are like amazed by this and they're having these conversations and people's lives are being transformed. The people that were supposed to be our enemies are now becoming our friends and we're worshiping together. And I'm thinking maybe I'm delusional, but guess what? God healed me also and I thought I was gonna die and now I am well. Isn't this awesome? And the church together, they celebrate what's going on. 
right? Timothy's got that same sort of deal going on, right? Paul says, I can't wait to send Timothy to you so I can hear about all that is happening in your church. Timothy must have been a good letter writer, right? He must have wrote Paul a lot when he wasn't with Paul. And I know that, I imagine what Paul was saying is, if Timothy was with you, I would get to hear all the stories about how God is working. I would get to celebrate with you. I would be praising God for what he was doing in your life. And I think that's a great part of us being people of joy. When we start looking in each other's lives and we start seeing things, maybe it's small stuff. Maybe it's just people who had a sin issue in their life and they're working on it and say, praise God. There's no reason you should like your boss. And right now you are loving your boss. How crazy is that? Or that's so awesome that you started that Bible study at your work. And how amazing is that? Or it's so amazing you're getting clean and sober and all these different things that we should be celebrating with each other. And I think that's part of this living in a mutual, sacrificial relationship, experiencing that joy together. And kind of the third thing I draw out of this, and it's something I see in both Timothy and Epaphrodites, and it kind of really is, goes to all of what we're speaking of today, is we experience joy when we bring joy to others. Both of these guys were willing to sit there with Paul as Paul's under house arrest. Paul can't go anywhere. These guys were free men. They could do whatever they wanted. Yet they choose to go and sit with Paul to be in prison with Paul for the sake of bringing joy to Paul's life, bringing comfort to Paul's life. And in that, I think we see them experiencing joy and they long to go back to the church of Philippi so that they can bring them joy. And in that, they're experiencing joy. Now, I also think, though, that this is difficult for us, right? Because we've all been in situations where we are seeking to bring joy to other people's lives. We are serving other people. We are living sacrificial with each other. But we're not necessarily experiencing a lot of joy in that, right? Maybe I'm the only person that's done that. Maybe you guys experience full joy. But no, right? Like you're serving somebody and you're feeling like, man, I'm just not getting much out of this. And there's another passage in the book of Philippians I think gives us hope. It kind of gives us perspective on how it is that that we really experience this joy in this sacrificial relationship. So if you want to open your Bible to Philippians 4.10, we're just going to read about three verses here. Philippians 4.10 says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how it is to be brought low. I know how it is to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a powerful passage this is, right? He's saying, I'm so stoked that you guys care about me, that you are concerned about my need. But even when you weren't concerned about my need, I'm good because guess what? I am content, not because I've got it all together. I'm content because I know that Christ strengthens me, that I have hope, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, whether I've got tons of stuff or whether I'm dead broke, I have great comfort because I know that Christ strengthens me. And I think that is foundational to this whole conversation that when we are secure in our relationship with God, when we have comfort from the love of Christ, when we have encouragement by the fact that the spirit of God lives within us, when we were experiencing the affection and love of God, 
then we're at a place that we can experience joy from each other, right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, in all these things, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is not a verse that we typically hear when people are down and out, right? This is a verse that we like to throw around when people are on the top of the world. When they just, when they're doing super well, they go, yeah, guess what? I won this championship because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't hear many people go, hey, check this tattoo out I just got. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I just got a divorce and I lost my house and I'm suffering, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, that verse is every bit as true for us who are hurting and suffering as it is for Steph Curry, right? Because Christ is there with us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And because of that, we can have great contentment. So kind of the last point I want us to kind of to dwell on, to think about a little bit, is this point, is when we are content in all things, we can experience joy in small things. When we're content in all things, we can experience joy in small things. So it comes down to this. If I am confident that I am loved by God, that he has called me to be a servant and a saint, that he's given me a job to do, that even in the midst of my suffering, that God stands with me, then I can experience joy in even the small things that come out of my relationships with each other because I'm content. Or let me put it this way. Imagine that tomorrow, to be content, you need a hundred bucks, right? That's what you need. For whatever reason, you need a hundred bucks tomorrow to be content. And me living sacrificially, I reach into my wallet and I pull 90 bucks out, every penny I got. And I go, hey, I want you to have this 90 bucks. Well, if you needed 100 bucks to be content, does that 90 bucks do it for you? No, I just shorted you 10 bucks, right? You're still feeling a little ripped off. You're still feeling like you haven't quite gotten what you need. But on the other side, if you go, man, I'm, I'm content. Whatever happens tomorrow is good. Whatever God does in my life, I'm confident with that. Then you get that gift and it's a blessing. Or maybe even bringing it more close to home. Maybe you're caring for uh, somebody in your life. Maybe an elderly parent or maybe a spouse or something like that. And day in and day out, you're caring for that person. But you're not getting a lot back from it. If we're content in that. Not saying, okay, I got to get back what I'm putting into this to be happy. For saying, I'm just going to be content in that. And that person you're caring for says, hey, thank you. That small thing can bring great joy to our life, right? So what would it look like if we're a church that's content, that we bring that into our relationship with each other? We begin to experience joy in that. What would it look like here on Mother's Day if we, we were focused on loving our parents and bringing joy to our mothers, right? Mothers, what would it look like if you were to bring joy to your ungrateful kid that didn't even call you yet, right? Right? What would it look like if we as a church that we were focused on bringing joy to each other's life, caring for each other, totally content in what God has given us and looking to experience the joy in all these different situations? How great would that be, right? As we wrap up this morning, I wanna kind of encourage us with this thought. We started off talking about that wanderer who sees the city in the distance, right? If you are a follower of Christ, then we were once wanderers. We were once lost. And Christ has found us, right? The truth of that story is we didn't like somehow make it to our own, to that city because we were such good travelers that God grabbed us and took us there. And we are now in community with each other. We get to experience the joy and love of being in relationship with each other 
And so I, my encouragement to us, to myself, is we get to celebrate that, right? How awesome is that, that we are part of this, that we're not at this alone. And let's fully invest in this together. Let's experience the, the completeness of this joy by being of one mind, loving and sacrificing each other and putting each other's needs above our own. So let me uh, just kind of pray for us. And as we sing this last uh, song, maybe just a kind of an application point of who can we bring joy to this week, right? Who can we bring joy into their life? Let me pray for us. God, we need you. We long for you. Um, And you've given yourself to us. And not only that, you've given us a family, a community. Um, So teach us what it means to live in this community. Teach us how to sacrifice for each other. Teach us how to hurt and to walk with each other. Um, And God, we praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.